Welcome to Built to Scale e-commerce show with Darius and Justin, your backstage pass to the eight and nine figure e-commerce world. Hey, Billy, super excited to have you here today. And maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit more to the audience and your business. Absolutely. Hey, Darius. Thank you for having me. So I am the owner of Tribe Beauty Box and Lash Scoop, which are two beauty subscription boxes based out of North America. We actually do have shipping fulfillment in the EU. So interesting to note that. I am a growth marketer. I, on the side, also do trade stocks. (laughs) So those are the two things that I do full time. Okay, quite interesting. Actually, like two completely different things, you know, combined together. But honestly, actually, it's very interesting. Like a few years ago, I was also like a little bit into the trading, right? I tried to get my hands on it with like first Bitcoin craze. I would say I did pretty well, you know, up to a point where I actually burned like 18,000 in a single day and got a heart attack from that. Oh, wow. Yeah. But actually, afterwards, I recovered, managed to build everything back up. But it was like a good learning point. And I can certainly, you know, see while it's like two different professions, it leads to the same direction, you know, especially media buying. I think we have quite a bit in common, right? Yeah. Good. So why I wanted to have you on today is actually talk more about maybe your subscription model, right? Because I think, you know, you built like two successful businesses in subscription industry, right? And I think it's kind of one of the more interesting models out here because there was like a one craze where everybody was hopping off subscription. And then, you know, everybody kind of, hey, you know, (laughs) I just want to sell products directly. So I'm just interested in your opinion. Is this still a viable model right now? It definitely is. And I think that there was a time definitely even up to like the beginning of 2019 where people just assumed that subscriptions were dead. But I mean, we're back in a world of even more convenience now with COVID and everything going on in the world. People just want everything automated. People want everything renewed automatically and shipped to them. Like, for example, I or the same sort of like base groceries every two weeks. And that I just have automatic clockwork. I just reorder it. Same thing with all of my house supplies. I have all of my tissue paper, my toilet paper on subscriptions. And it just works for me, you know. And in Canada now, we have a lockdown. In some parts of Canada, we have a curfew. So there's no better time to have services automated and on subscriptions. And even if, you know, people think that their service is not a subscription, I always advise that they do. Like, for example, if you're selling a shampoo, you should know the amount of time it takes for someone, the average person to finish your shampoo, offer them the shampoo as a subscription. That way they just keep buying it over and over without having to think about it. So I definitely think that the subscription space has been revived for anyone who thinks it had died previously. That's interesting. And I think you kind of touched on interesting subject, you know, timing subscription with like uh, product use cycles. And I know you personally are, you know, setting up your subscription in by monthly format. Yeah. So the makeup box is bi-monthly and then the lash subscription is monthly. And is there like any specific reasons besides what I mentioned here, why you chose this ones? Have you like maybe tested different timeframes? Well, the truth is that I have to put myself in the shoes of a consumer, right? There are some boxes that do send you, you know, five plus 10 full-size products every month. And to me, I don't think that that is something that is first 
ethical. And then secondly, it's just not very efficient. When you send customers full-size product, they really need time to try out the product with a considerable amount of time. And especially beauty products, we send skincare products, the average skin cycle is 28 days, right? So there is that time frame scheduled into my intervals. When I think about the time that the products take to work out for a customer to adopt a product versus me just throwing them like new products every 30 days. And not only that, the reality is that there are issues that have to do with logistics. So let's say you bill a customer on the first, you ship to them on the fifth, it best day doesn't get to them until the 10th or the 12th or whatever it may be. They receive it by the time they open it, they have maybe maximum two weeks to try and then you charge them again. It just seems very rushed to me personally. And it's just not something that I went ahead for. However, though, for the lash box, customers use lashes on a daily basis. Our customers or their content creators who make makeup looks on Instagram, they use it every single time, multiple times a day. So it makes more sense for that to be on a monthly basis. But for the makeup box that we include, you know, full-size makeup, full-size skincare that needs a time frame, we decided to go bi-monthly. I see. So basically, you know, judging on how a customer would feel plus time, it reflects shipping times, right? And delays. The logistics, yes. Yeah, I see. It's interesting. And you mentioned, you know, about consumption of a product, right? So, you know, for lashes, of course, you could kind of predict it, right? But I still think there are like some people who do wear lashes only on the weekends, you know, on Friday nights, etc. Some people do wear it like every day. How important is customization feature in actual subscription-based business model? Yeah, so I think that in the past, subscriptions had huge issues with churn because customers did not feel like they were getting products that were in any way tailored to them. So with customization, you get to give customers something that they definitely want. What we do is that we allow customers to make a choice. They pick one item in their box and, you know, that's usually the hero item in the box. And, you know, hopefully down the line, we can have a fully customized box, which is a big logistical nightmare, but we'll get there. But customization does definitely help with churn. And with any business, whether it's subscription or not, your lifetime value, your lifetime cycle of your customer is so important. So the longer you can keep a customer, the more you profit from them. In a world of paid marketing, we know how expensive it is to acquire a customer. You definitely want to do everything you can to keep the customer once you have them. And what type of like break-even period you're noticing with subscription boxes, for example, you know, compared to how much it takes to acquire initial customer? Yeah, so the subscription space, I believe from what I've seen and compared to friends who are not in the subscription space, that it is more expensive to acquire a subscription customer because there is that one education if they are not used to what a subscription is. And two, there is more touch points because they need to believe in you, believe that when they cancel, they're canceled, you're not going to charge them again. They have to believe in the quality that they get because sure, they're paying a fraction of the cost for everything that they're getting. But does that mean that you're just going to send them garbage? You know, there are some brands that do that. So there's a bit more trust to be built. And another thing is that most subscription boxes don't have a return policy. So if a customer tries a product, they don't like it, you can't return it. So there's a lot more 
decision making on the customer's end than if it was not a subscription. Mm, I see, I see. And you know, you mentioned that logistics and fulfillment is honestly a nightmare, right? So I'm just maybe it would be interesting to hear how it did look for you when you were just starting out and yeah. how it evolved over the years. Yeah, for sure. When I started out, it was pretty easy. You know, I was packing the box with a friend for a little bit, had maybe two, three friends. And then when I grew significantly to the point where I knew I needed to outsource, I live in a condo building. So we have like rooms, like a party room downstairs where you can rent. I would do that, pack it all day with like six, seven friends and then get the truck to come pick it up. But I mean, that day, like my friends and myself were not logistics experts. So we would always have products missing. We would spend so much money replacing an item and things like that. So it just didn't really make sense anymore. And I found a fulfillment center that I worked with. The beauty of subscription fulfillment centers is that they understand how precarious and how detailed the subscription box is. They understand the experience of the unboxing. But secondly, they just know how to deal with logistics. So they know how to manage late deliveries. They know how to manage receiving. So let's say like when I would pack the boxes myself in the beginning, I would count the items the morning I needed to pack the items versus they would pack ahead of time, receive it, logging into a software. I know, okay, this is missing, this is missing, and I can contact the brands in time. So it's just a more organized flow. And the good thing about subscription fulfillment centers is that for the most part, everything ships at once. They get great rates with their couriers. So there are win-wins, but just as that, there are pros, but there are also cons. But if the pros, you know, outweigh the cons significantly, then it makes sense to go with a fulfillment center. I see. So essentially, you know, just focusing on what you know and do well, right? And essentially just outsourcing whenever part. Mm-hmm. I see. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about like obstacles you have faced, you know, and just implementing a subscription model in general, because I think it's kind of unique model in a way, you know, comparing like to current ecosystem out there. I think, you know, often we can learn the most from failures, not, you know, like successes, etc. So if you're open to sharing that, I would love to hear some, you know, of your failures and how you solve that. Yeah. Yeah. So I also am of the school of thought that you learn faster when you fail. So I do believe in failing fast and failing forward. It's really important to just make mistakes that way, you know, in the future that, okay, this isn't going to work. How are we going to, you know, shift, adopt and adapt? In terms of failures, like I wasn't in the subscription space before I started. So a lot of mistakes I've made have come from just a lack of knowledge. And it is something that people are not, you know, willing to admit, but you don't know everything. And that's just the truth. You also have to forgive yourself for the things that you didn't know because you're literally one person. So when I started, I was working with a wholesaler at the time because I didn't have big number of subscribers. So I couldn't work directly with brands. I would work with a wholesaler or a distributor who would get me products and they would give me not so great of a discount, but just enough for me to break even. So that's how I started. And unfortunately, at one point, not that I didn't authenticate the products, but, you know, there was a mix of real products and counterfeit. So that happened and it was discovered by a customer who made a huge YouTube video about it. That blew up. The brand contacted me and it was a whole issue. 
So, you know, I always tell people as much as you can, even if you don't work with the big brands that you want to work with, just start small, start with small brands, do collaborations, or even white label your products. That way you don't fall into the trap of being sold counterfeit products by like a wholesaler or distributor. That was an issue that I had. That was a big PR mess. Also, when I was starting, I hadn't done like major sales before. So I was used to purchasing products in the basis of an invoice and not a purchase order. So I didn't send a purchase order and I didn't get it signed and countersign it. So that meant that I wired money for the products and I just never received it. And there was nothing I could do about it. <laughs> so that sucked. Yeah. Big lesson, you know, got a purchase order, got a lawyer to look over my sales agreements and things like that. And since then, I've never had that issue again. Another issue that I had starting again was not negotiating enough. I just assumed that the price that they gave me was the best and that I wasn't in a position to negotiate. But I definitely was because I'm acquiring the customer. I'm buying these products from you. You're not losing out on any money and you're getting basically free advertisement from me to my customers. So I absolutely had a right to negotiate. So I always tell people, like, even if you think it's the lowest price it can give you, negotiate, negotiate. There's always room. There's always room. So lots of things like that, even... One time I worked with an ad agency. It's horrible. I worked with an ad agency. I didn't know much about ads at that point. And that's why I will never outsource something that I don't have at least basic knowledge of. They just kept going around and around and around and telling me that they were still in the testing phase. Literally in like three months, they got me two sales after paying them like a total of like $8,000. So it was a horrible experience to the point where I had even shipped them my products to do content. They said they would do content as well. Content was horrible. When the contract ended, I asked them to ship me back the products. I even sent them a shipping label. They did not. They just stole my money, stole my products. (laughs) But yeah, there's always lessons. Those are the big, big ones that I can remember. But just like every day, you know, I make mistakes all the time. And I just keep learning. And it's recently, really recently, you know, awesome overall that you are like openly sharing quiz because I think, you know, it's something that strikes deeply in pretty much everybody that listens to this podcast. And for me personally, you know, what you mentioned with agency, where all of our clients practically had two to four different agencies coming before us, right? And you know, the stories that I'm hearing from where, you know, it's it's crazy. And this is why I'm always recommending people, you know, learn the Facebook ads and, and advertising in general yourself first. Get, you know, to some sort of like minimal base where whatever it is, like 30K a month, 50K, 80K a month, where you somewhat know what you're doing, right? Exactly. It will save you so much time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it is that way that people don't like to share their failures, but it really does do a service to the person after you to learn from your mistakes. And I've definitely avoided mistakes that I've learned from other people who are willing to share. You know, it's just that I didn't learn all, I didn't avoid all the mistakes. So hopefully, you know, someone who listens to this takes from that and doesn't make the same mistakes as me and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned that counterfeit issue, uh, right? How did you handle the PR there? Because I think, you know, it was pretty hot situation. It was very hot. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing I did was get a PR rep. 
But to be honest, like what she wrote, I could have definitely like just wrote it myself. Like there was a statement, but what she advised me to do and which was solid advice was to take a break. So I took the summer off. This happened, I think in like maybe May or June. And I just skipped charges for like July or August. And I came back in September. So that was what happened. Really took time to clean house, to regroup, give me time to reach out to brands and start working with them directly. And that's also why one thing I always tell people is to not always rush the process of launching a business. Because once you launch, there's no stopping, right? You just keep going. And if you haven't cleaned house, if you haven't covered your basics before launching, then you're always in a rat race. So that break actually was a huge blessing because it gave me time to talk to brands, you know, reach out without having an upcoming box behind me that I needed to fulfill. And now what I've done, and I'll, you know, never plan box to box ever again. Like this year is the first time ever that I have boxes ahead of time. Like for the most part, I have 90% of the boxes this year planned. And I feel the huge relief in that. I feel a huge relief because I don't have to look for products month after month, month after month. So plan ahead of time. And of course, (laughs) work directly with the brands, even if it's a small, small brand, you have to start small and build up. I see. It's interesting that you actually did like what two months stop for and how did it actually affect your current customer base? You know, how you are like reacting to, you know, like not shipping the product for two months. I lost a couple customers for sure. And there was a huge thread on Reddit about how like, yeah, I never bought from Try Beauty Box. They send you like counterfeit products. But but the good thing is that when I started my business, I really focused on building a community and my customers knew who I was. So for the most part, they were understanding. It's kind of the new customers who didn't know me, who were like upset and were so willing to like throw fuel into the fire. But we definitely refunded everyone. I never got a refund for those counterfeit products, but we refunded everyone, took that loss, and just learned from that. And I thought it was a good opportunity for people to know that I was willing to lose money regardless of how much it was to make it right. And I definitely gained like a lot of loyal customers from that. I see. And talking about like community in general, I know you have built up, you know, pretty strong and loyal community out here. So maybe you could share more about how you did it. Yeah. So in the beginning, I think that when you don't have money to run ads or have money to do any fancy campaigns, what you actually have is yourself, your superpower, just like a job. You sell yourself. So you need to sell yourself to sell your products. So I really focused on community building because that was one thing I knew that I would have. Having brand advocates is really, really important, having brand loyalty. And what I did was through our Facebook group, we had giveaways, we had contests, we had Facebook and Instagram lives. I would do that constantly where I would just talk to customers. They'd get to know me. I'd get to know them. It was very, very like organic. It wasn't anything super planned thoroughly. It was just me putting myself in front of the customers enough times for them to know me enough. And that really worked for us. And as well as when we're building the website and things like that, getting our first email list subscribers in the middle of things, you know, like they were the customers who 
we would tell them, hey, like we are debating a couple fonts. What is your favorite font? Or like what color? What do you think about this logo? So customers really felt like they were part of that process of building the business from the start. And that really does build a huge amount of loyalty. And that's been what has helped us keep our solid base from the beginning. And what stuck to me, you know, which is kind of like similar to what I often, you know, tell people to do is they need to know you, not just the brand, right? And this is what you mentioned, you know, you will envelope yourself, showing your personality, you know, communicating with people directly because people buy from people, not from, you know, like a logo, etc. Exactly, exactly. And has there been like any tools you have used to like moderate the community and, you know, speed up the growth or was it like just completely organic? You know what, like, one thing that we did really well in the beginning and are not doing well right now, I'm very honest to say that, is referrals. So in the beginning, we're really, really strong with referrals. Like we would get all our customers loved and would prefer their friends. But we then started focusing on, you know, all these fancy marketing and Facebook ads and all those things. And the truth is we definitely put referral on the back burner and we didn't remind our customers enough that we had that. So We're going back to that this month. Just last night, I was up revamping the referral page with the app that we use. So we use Referral Candy. So that's an app that I can throw out there. And it's great. You know, you refer a friend. People love to get rewards and people love to refer their friends. Like if you love something, like if I order something that I love without even my friend asking, without the brand even prompting me to do it, I automatically share it with my friends. So when you have that little card in the order, you know, reminding people, if you love it, you know, share it with your friends or you have a post-purchase email. And a very important place to actually put your referral program is in the tracking number email. That's an email that gets like a 99% open rate. <laughs> so that's the best place to do referrals and also to do post-purchase upsells. It's a great place to sell customers more things at a discount because they're definitely going to open that email. So that is a tip I can throw in there too. I see. And you mentioned, you know, like putting the same referral code in the packaging itself, right? Yeah. So what I've seen some boxes do that I thought was interesting is that they would put their link as a QR code. And when you scan it with your phone camera, you know, it pops up a page. They actually print that on the box. So when you open the box, you see that QR code with like a text or whatever, or you can just print it on a card. So we put insert cards in every single one of our subscription orders, which shows the customer what product is in the box and the value of each item. So that's also a great real estate to put that referral code. I see. And have you personally maybe played around with putting like some sort of different offers in the packaging and seeing how we perform? We're actually working with a designer to see, you know, how we can change our packaging, you know, make it more interactive. But to be honest, like our packaging is pretty staple and it's something our customers love, but there's definitely a chance to add some things in. So maybe instead of like changing the outside of the packaging, we can print something on the inside of the box, you know, so that's something that we're playing around with. I see. So, and this is kind of like, I guess, interesting point, you know, to emphasize on that the packaging is your business card in a way, right? And you could be utilizing it to sell more products. It really, really, really is. And, you know, some brands don't discount. I have one of my favorite brands. They don't do any discount whatsoever, but they do things in such a great way. They give you how to do, they also show you, let's say you buy like, I don't know, 
a red lipstick, they'll show you a product that goes with it, that matches it. That way you're like, oh, I already got this, so I need this. So they do some cross-selling through their insert card that they send in their order. So there's so many ways. It's not just discount. Sometimes you can just place a cross-sell item there and use that as an opportunity to increase your profit per customer. I see. And at one point you mentioned that, you know, in the past we were doing more referrals, right? And now you kind of got swayed by like Facebook ads and acquisition channels. So maybe we can talk more about that, you know, hey, what worked for you from like acquisition channels? Yeah, our business is a bit more unique in the sense that products change every 60 days, right? So we have to get whole new creatives, whole new brand assets and things like that. So we see some boxes do amazing on Facebook, depending on what's in the product. And some don't. Some would do better on Instagram. Some would do better on YouTube. Some would do better on Facebook. So it really does vary. But a constant that has brought us customers and sales is YouTube. So when we're looking to actually add influencers to our roster or to our PR roster, we do not add anybody who does not unbox on YouTube because our product is something that needs to be explained in the sense that it's a curation. You know, it's a box, it's a story, it tells a story, it has a theme and it's not something that you bought directly, which means that you bought it with intent. You need to be told how you can use it, why you need to use it, where it can be placed in your life. So when we have PR influencers, we love it when they do YouTube videos because they unbox a product. People are intrigued by, oh my God, what did she get? What's the total value? What was the deal? What was the favorite things in there? You will see your facial expressions. They see if you love something, they see if you don't. Versus a flat, Instagram picture or even like a 10 second Snapchat story doesn't tell the story of our box, which is why YouTube is so important for us. And it's always done well for us. And I'm not surprised at all because of that storytelling aspect. I see. And it's kind of interesting. And I guess you're talking more about like PR side, which means just getting, you know, people to review it, etc. instead of like running ads on YouTube, right? Or do you yeah. synchronize it some way? We synchronize it. So when we have like flash promotion, so for example, in the February box, we're going to be running an In Love With Me campaign where we have some palettes from our Black Friday mystery boxes. We have a couple palettes left. So we can throw that in into a campaign and get some extra subscribers from that. But for the most part, the February box itself is very, very solid. So we anticipate enough sales from YouTube and just customers referring their friends because we do have that strong base. We will be running ads, but again, an influencer who refers us gets $5 per customer that they refer to us, right? And then the client gets 10% off. So that's an $8.50 acquisition versus $35, $40 on Facebook, plus the gift of purchase, plus the discount that would be giving the customer, you know, it just makes sense to go to what works. And funny enough, what works best for us is also the least expensive. So we'd definitely be focusing on both, but we know where it makes more sense for us to focus on. I see. And have you tried like Instagram influencers we have, but, you know, due to the lack of like storytelling or enough time, 
our influencers on Instagram don't do that well. They're great for photos. You know, they're great for flat lays. They're great for, oh, I'm intrigued by this box, but we don't convert that well on Instagram. Mm, I see because you know it's still like even IG stories 15 seconds and we, well we might do like 10 stories in a row right but still like the platform is much more faster consumption compared to YouTube exactly and it's like you tap 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 I see quite interesting and have you seen you know like often overlooked things that you are doing compared to maybe some other businesses in the field or just in the industry in general yeah education actually I think that when people buy a drill, they're not buying the drill, they're buying a hole that they need the drill for, right? So I think that a lot of people missed out on the chance to sell the use. To sell the use, you have to add education. So we do a lot of educating. We talk about the founders, we talk about the products, we talk about ingredients and other brands don't do that. I don't know if that is something that's good or if it's bad because I don't know their numbers. I don't know how many subscribers those brands have. But for me, like why I started the box was because I was missing that key information of, okay, this is a small brand. What is this brand about? Who does this brand support? Like, for example, we don't include any products that are not cruelty-free. We only include cruelty-free products and 90% of our products are also vegan. So there's so much opportunity to educate customers who want more information. And I think that funny enough, those customers that you spend more time explaining your products to the use of it are actually the customers who usually have the higher ticket orders and also stay the longest versus the one-time customer who just kind of grabs and like leaves. That's what I've noticed in the business. Cool. So Billy, I guess, you know, usually I love to ask the last question, you know, it's almost always the same in our podcast is because like entrepreneurship journey is full of ups and downs, you know, what do you do to keep sanity among it all, you know, to keep productive and then, you know, in general, still be a person? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely struggled with that for a very long time. I would work hours and hours, but not on myself. And whenever I notice like stagnancy in the business, I always say this in every podcast, whenever I notice stagnancy in the business is because there's stagnancy in my own life. If I'm not developing my interests, my passions, things that I'm interested in outside of the business, I don't have the motivation to continue because it feels like a chore. And Every founder can say that there has been a point where they just absolutely hated the business because they just were not finding the passion for it anymore. And that's because you're ignoring every other part of your life, you know? So I definitely take more time in the morning. Before I would wake up and the first thing I do is get on my computer. I don't do that anymore. I take my time. I would just wake up a little earlier, you know, drink my coffee, look outside, enjoy, you know, take walks and then start. And as much as, you know, entrepreneurship can be a rat race. It's also important to know that there is some sort of control that you have. You know, you can absolutely only reply to your email certain times if you want to. And that takes structure. So in the summer, I took like three months to just restructure the entire business. I automated so many things. I outsourced so many things. And I always tell my friends, I'm like, no matter how well my business is doing, I want to always do less. I want to do less work. I want to put less effort so I can get 80% of results with 20% effort. I really believe in that, the 80-20 rule. And it's something that I want to live by. I don't believe that you work, 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 work. You know, like someone once told me, one of my friends in France, actually, she told me, she's like, you know, you guys in North America, you live to work and we, we work to live, you know? And it's like, 
it's it's so true. Like all we do here is just work, work, work all the time. And when does that end? When do you actually enjoy your life? I'm a young person. I definitely want to live my life to my fullest as much as I want a successful business. And for that, I have to have balance. And I'm glad to say that I'm definitely finding a place where I'm finding that balance, giving myself boundaries. The hardest person to actually give boundaries to is yourself because we're hard on ourselves and anybody else. We're like, oh no, you can just work an extra hour. You can work an extra hour versus the person who works for you. Be like, oh yeah, okay, cool. You're clocking out now. Okay, see you tomorrow, but I'll still be here for five hours working. That's not okay. So, you know, give yourself grace, give yourself time. And sometimes growth in business is just growth within yourself, especially if you're a solo founder. It's okay sometimes to not hit those crazy numbers. And sometimes it's just okay to break even, to just regather yourself and not lose your mind. <laughs> it's really funny you actually touched on like 2080 subject because honestly, I set it up as a theme for VC or basically for myself, which is basically <laughs> identifying what's working, bringing majority of results and just focusing on doing more of it. Instead of, you yeah. know, just being scattered all around the place. And this yeah. is why you and I'm focusing more on podcasts this year. Yeah. It's a terrible feeling, you know, feeling scattered, feeling stretched out. You don't feel like you own your life anymore. And I never want to feel that way again. Exactly. Exactly. So tell me, you know, where people can find more about you or Try Beauty Box. Definitely. So our socials are at Try Beauty Box. My personal email is create, C-R-E-A-T-E, at Tribe Beauty Box. And my personal Instagram is BB underscore TBB. So Billy underscore Tribe Beauty Box. (laughs) Um, That is about it. And on my personal bio, I have links to all of my podcasts, all of my interviews. So when this one comes up, out, I will add it there. So if you know you like this episode and you want to listen to more things that I've said or you know written out, you can definitely find it on my Instagram, which is bb underscore tbb. Good. So thank you for sharing today's episode. You are very, very welcome. Thank you for your time and your great questions. Enjoying this podcast? Consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. This helps us to grow and create more amazing content like this for you.